All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Southridge Church once again. Uh, just want to welcome you here. My name's Dean. I'm the location pastor at our Bridgeport location, so we just want to welcome them uh, to this part of the service, as well as uh, Fairmont and those that, I know the summer's busy, and sometimes we catch these messages out of uh, order that they come in, but just want to welcome everybody that's listening to this. We do invite you during this time to uh, not just listen, but to engage with what maybe God would uh, have to speak to you through his word. And so if you want to find your way to Psalm 101, you can do that if you brought a copy of the Bible, or you can find that on an app or online. You can just look that up. It'd be helpful to kind of engage with that because we want you to take some things that we're going to talk about today uh, out the door with you that you can apply right now as you're kind of going through the summer. And so we're spending our time in this series. It's not so much a series. It's just kind of like a a theme and that we're just all uh, taking a psalm. Uh, Just to be honest, we're picking kind of psalms that we like that have meant something to us in the past and just using this as an opportunity to share them with you. And so uh, today you're going to hear another psalm that I have uh, have just found is really helpful in my life and just want to share that with you. Hopefully you'll find it helpful as well. And we're, we're just kind of working our way through a psalm each week. And some of you have been reading a psalm a day along with the reading plan that we provided to you. That's great. That's going to be so helpful. But psalms are basically a playlist. Uh, I'm not really that much of a musical person, but I love music. I've dabbled in some instruments in the past, but I really just am really good at a playlist, like a Spotify playlist, right? Because I can, I can rock out to that. I can't ever make the music that I like on my own. So I listen to other people do it and it's awesome. But, uh, but playlists basically communicate things through songs in a, in a way that they, they help us through times in our lives. We have certain songs that we like to listen to certain times. Well, the Psalms are kind of like that. The people that wrote the Psalms wrote these songs during times in their life when they um, maybe had decisions to make or were going through something and they became kind of themes that then the people would sing. And throughout the, if you take the whole collection of Psalms that are right in the middle of the Bible, basically they tell a story. They tell a story that there's a lot of hard things that go on in the world. Not a lot has changed, right? A lot of things are going on that were hard back then. A lot of things that are hard now. And the people that wrote these Psalms just identified that. One thing I love about the Psalms is they just kind of point at brokenness and just say, yeah, that really is bad. That's so bad. Uh, God, I don't understand why that's so bad. But they don't stay there. They go from this lament to a place where they they direct their hope uh, to God. And they so they don't just kind of stay in the brokenness. They point their eyes to the hope that that in the end, God is going to restore things. God's going to resolve some things. And we have to put our hope in him when there's things that are broken that are going on in our world. So um, as we jump into that, that's just kind of what we're doing each week. We're just taking some time with that, that uh, theme in this series. So last weekend, I got back with a team. I'm going to show you a picture of a team that went to Romania uh, together. And uh, I think we'll put it up there on the screen. You can see us. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe eventually there might be a picture that'll show up there. There they are. Um, of people that went to Romania. We got back last weekend. Um, just an incredible time. Uh, every time I go on one of these trips, I don't come back the same. Um, I've told people over and over and over again, it's not so much about going over and accomplishing something because I'm not sure that what we do is really so life-changing over there. But what happens in your own heart brings you back as a different individual than when you left. And every time I go on one of these trips, I come back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel like it was that, that I just changed and so much. Um, the things about going, they say, why can't you do that in West Virginia at your home? Well, I don't know. There's something 
about going over to another place, another culture, to where it takes you outside of your comfort zone. It takes me out of my comfort zone and it takes me out of things that I can control. And it requires me to be patient and requires me to depend on others and requires me to wait on the Lord. All of things that I'm good at. Well, actually, no, I'm not good at any of those things, right? Like, I'm not good at being patient. I'm not good at uh, things that are outside of my control. But this team was awesome. Uh, We all just had an opportunity to encourage each other, to ask ourselves some questions about what God is doing in our life. And we do believe that that was just an incredible time. And so while it's fresh in my mind, I'd like to take uh, the time that I have with you today to share three stories from uh, just conversations and relationships that we uh, discovered while we're in Romania throughout uh, this Psalm 100 because I think there's a connection to the context there. But before we get there, I want to ask a question of you. I want you to get you thinking about something with me. Have you ever found yourself facing something in your life where you didn't know what to do? Ever found yourself facing maybe a decision or a situation where you didn't know what to do? Or maybe you uh, knew what you should do, but you didn't want to do it. That could be kind of the same thing. You, you knew what you should do, but you weren't really sure what to do. And I know it's the summertime, and I know that a lot of times the summertime feels like a time to just like take off making decisions, right? I've done this. Maybe some of you have done this where you're like, okay, it's the summer. I'm just going to try not to make any big decisions over the summer. Uh, the fall is going to come and a lot of decisions, but the summertime is just the time just to kind of like lay low and vacate. And, and, but eventually, eventually we're going to have to do some stuff that we don't want to do, like make some decisions, like maybe go back to work. I know that some of you have come back off vacation and it's like tomorrow's Monday and you're like, oh, as much as I love my job, I don't know if I want to do Monday, the first day back. But you're going to have to do that. Some of you are, are not even wanting to say the word school yet, but I'm going to say the word school and you can hate me for it. But like school is coming. And, uh, and, and you know what kids find shocking? I don't want to say all kids, but some kids um, find this shocking that, that like adults don't get the whole summer off. Most adults don't get like the whole summer off, right? And when I, my kids realized that, that, like when school came to the end, this was several years ago, and I, I said, I was like getting up and I was just going back to work. They were like, where are you going? I'm like, to work. And they're like, it's summer. I'm like, I know, it should be against the law, right? It should, I don't know what it is. But that's the difference between like kidding and adulting. Like adults have to make, do things that they don't want to do, like eat their vegetables. Kids just do things that they have to, because they're told to do them. Once you know you're an adult, you're like actually choosing to do stuff that you really don't want to do. That means you're an adult. That's just the way it is. But we We all find ourselves um, facing some things in our lives where we don't know what to do, we don't know what decision to make, or we know what to do and uh, we don't want to do it. And when we face those things, it's going to be really important that we don't just rely on what we want or what we feel, because that isn't always going to be helpful, because what we want and what we feel sometimes will lead us to make some pretty dumb decisions, like when we see something that upsets us. If, we, if you've ever had somebody that's made you mad or gotten you upset or you see something you don't like, that, that initial thing that you want to do and you feel like would be good could lead you to make a really stupid decision, right? And so you shouldn't rely on what I want and what I feel in those moments. Or maybe you just realize that what you're about to say or do isn't going to be helpful. Maybe you have a spouse or a coworker and they just know like what button to press. And when they press it, you know what you want to say and you know how you feel, but you know that nothing this, this coming out of your mouth from this point forward is going to be helpful. You ever found yourself in those situations? Or maybe you, when you, you feel like you should explain to someone why they are wrong about politics, don't do it. 
right? It's never going to get you anywhere helpful, right? Just because you feel like it would be helpful to explain to them why they're wrong, it's never going to get you anywhere to try to explain to them why they're wrong. And so some of this isn't going to be helpful. What you want to do and how you feel in the moment could lead you to make some bad decisions. And it's in these moments that it's going to be helpful for us to have something to fall back on, something to guide us through these moments when questions or feelings or desires are unreliable. It's important to make an, a commitment before the situation that will guide the decision to, that you need to make in the situation. Some examples of this that we kind of talked about already is going back to school. I know that it's like a long ways off. I'm just thinking about it. It's like the end of the month, maybe. I don't know. But, or maybe you're starting college next week. I don't know what it is. But you know, if that's what's coming up, it's going to be so important for you to make some commitments to yourself and to God before you find yourself in those situations where you're going to have to make some decisions. You're going to need to make some commitments. It's going to be really good. Some of you might be considering relationships, what to do in certain relationships. And it's going to be really important for you to, to make a commitment about what you're going to do that's going to help you when you find yourself in those relationships and in those situations. Try to encourage people to always have a, say what they're going to do before they find themselves in a situation where they have to do this. This is just great. This is just a great principle. And we see this, that David writes this in the Psalm where he writes out what he's going to do before he has to do it. And we don't know for sure, but we think he might've written this right before he became the king of Israel. Talk about stepping into something that he didn't know what, all that he was getting into and probably what he knew about it terrified him. He makes a commitment about what he's going to do and how he's going to act. And did it always help him make the right decisions? Well, if you know anything about King David, there's some pretty big bad decisions that are recorded for us in the word of God um, that we would say, no, he didn't make all the right decisions. But imagine what it would have been like if he would have gone into this responsibility and into this situation in his life without having made any commitments at all. So the question that we can ask ourselves is, what do I do when? And you could take some notes on this if you want, but what do I do when? And in the dot, dot, dot part is really any decision, any situation, anything that you're going to find yourself in. What do you do when? This commitment is going to apply to regard. I don't even have to know what the decision is. I don't even have to know what the situation is. This commitment that we're going to look at will apply to it. So we can know what we should do not just what we want to do, because there's going to be times that come in our lives where we want to do something and we feel a certain way, but we need to have something to fall back on because we don't always make good decisions when we're feeling a certain way and when we're wanting something. We have to have a commitment that will guide us through that. It's going to be important for us to make a commitment about that before we're faced with it. And sometimes with all the decisions that you face, sometimes it's hard to keep them all sorted out in order of priority. It's going to be important to have a place to start. And sometimes just knowing where to start is half the battle. And so a commitment is going to be half the battle. The other half is actually following through on the commitment. But we're going to work on what is that commitment? What does that commitment look like? And so I just want to take a minute and read Psalm 101, the all eight verses with us. And then we'll just look at a few things uh, together. Psalm 101, uh, David writes, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land and that, that they may dwell with me. 
He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So if you ask yourself the question, what do I do when, it's gonna be helpful to understand a commitment leading into that decision. Before the right decision comes the right attitude. In other words, having yourself in the right attitude in order to make the right decision. So I think David kind of starts here just getting his attitude right. And he makes this commitment. He says, I will have a reason to sing. Or you could fill in there a reason to worship or anyhow, a reason to have the right attitude regardless of what decision or situation I'm gonna face. He says, I'll sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. And there's a couple things that he's recognizing are going to be part of the song or part of his attitude. One is that he's going to remember the steadfast love of God. And anytime you see this word uh, in the Old Testament, it's talking about how God is loyal and he's steadfast and he's faithful. It talks about deliverance. It talks about guidance. It talks about forgiveness. It's talking about hope and praise and protection that is all based not on how strong a person is or how great an alliance is or how great a nation is, but it's talking about how great God is how regardless of what a decision, a decision is or a situation is, that God's steadfast love is something that we can always point to and hope in and praise him for. So it should be part of our song. It's something that we should sing about. But he also recognizes something else about God, that God is just. He says, I, want to, I can sing because of God's justice. And I think that this is so important for David because he's about to become a king uh, if he's not already a king of Israel. And, it, and if you are like the boss, If you're like the person in charge, it can be really easy to make some decisions based on what you want or how you feel or what you think should happen. But if he's going to say, I'm going to sing a song, not about me, I'm going to have this attitude that I'm going to sing and praise God because he's ultimately is the one that is just. It's going to be so helpful when you're in a position of leadership to do that. And so he's getting his attitude right. And I think this is so helpful because a lot of times we can find ourselves in a situation where we don't no, uh, we, we don't know what to do about the situation. We see something, uh, we don't know what right decision is to make. And so in those moments, when we tend to see everything that's wrong, it's important to understand that there's always something that's right. And that's God's steadfast love. And that's his justice. It's going to give us the ability to be able to make some wise decisions based on what we understand about who God is. So I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. So the direction of David's singing is not based on his circumstances. It's simply based on who God is. Now, you may um, find yourself in situations where you don't have anything to sing about. Maybe you have been faced with something that has stopped the music in your life. Maybe it's been a difficulty, a challenging, a challenging situation where you just say, I don't, I don't know, my attitude's not in the right place. I can't see anything positive about this. But if you look in the right direction, if you look to God, you will find that you can have a song to sing even if you're in an incredibly painful situation because you don't have to sing about your situation. You can sing about God who is in the situation. So what do you do when? You're not sure about what to do or when you see something that breaks your heart. We were in Romania um, last, we got back last weekend, but one of the reasons why we were there, one of the goals that was there was to run a small camp in a uh, community outside of Brasov called Gurchen. 
And in that community, there's a school. It's surrounded by a wall. And we would drive into that, and kids would come to us that, were, um, that had been given permission by the teachers in the school to come to this camp. And we worked with them on the school grounds in partnership with the teachers at this public school in this community. And it was an incredible time of just trying to love on these kids. It's a very uh, under-resourced, impoverished, marginalized community in Romania. It's part of a, it's a gypsy community or a Roma community, you would call them, a Roma community that is uh, just kind of undocumented, but it's there. It's the largest one in Romania. It's the second largest in Europe. And we had this opportunity to work with these kids in the time that we were there. Um, talk about feeling like you're in over your head, but the needs are everywhere. The thing, though, I want to show the next picture to you. In this camp, on this school grounds, there's this wall that surrounds the property. And you could imagine why you'd need a wall around the school. But at the back of the wall, you can see there's like a red gate. It's a red section. You can probably see it there in the back. Um, and it's a gate that leads down over the hill to another section of the town. And in talking with one of the teachers, she was just telling us about some of the brokenness that's going on in the community and how she, even though there's jobs that pay better, and even though some of her peers say you really shouldn't waste your life in Gurchen, she says she just feels called to the kids of this community. And she said, I want to show you why. And so she took us, a few of us, uh, one day, she took us beyond the wall. We kind of referenced it from that point forward about what's going on beyond the wall. And she took us through that gate. And, then, and the next picture is a little bit uh, challenging to see because we're kind of trying to take it without making a big deal about it. Um, but it shows just kind of a, a, another part of the community that is broken in about every way possible. And right in the middle of the picture in the background, there's a small house. It's about 10 by 10. It's got like a white metal roof on it. And she was just saying about, you know, she's the teacher. She knows the kids that are there. And it's a family of like eight or 10. They have a bunch of kids, like eight kids. And they have one room, house, and one bed. And the kids are, the challenges of trying to encourage kids to do homework when they're not, when their father doesn't allow them to sleep at night because there's no other place to sleep. And they're just this, just the chronic brokenness, the, the generational dysfunction is going on there. And as we're standing on this hill, looking, we're on the other side of the wall and we're looking down over this thing. It's, I had one of these moments that I've had on trips before. Maybe you've had, if you've ever been on a trip before, where you just think, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sell everything that I have. And I'm going to just come here and try to make a difference because I don't feel like I'm doing anything that important back at, at home. And I know that might, that sounds irrational, but in the moment, that's how you feel. You feel like we've got to do something. There's got to be something that's done. Uh, and, you're, and you really just don't, you, you see something that breaks your heart and you don't know what to do. But I use that as an illustration of this part in this Psalm, that if you have an, a, commit, a commitment, that even when you see stuff like that, that you can't even completely understand. And I'm standing there next to my um, 13-year-old daughter that was so awesome. You should take your teenager to, on a mission trip sometime if you haven't. It's an incredible opportunity. Standing next to her, trying to communicate to her, like, what, you know, can you imagine what it'd be like to have been born in that house instead of the house that you were born in? And just how that just kind of tugs at your heart and you don't know what else to say other than because of my relationship with God through Jesus, I can say, God, I don't understand this, but I know that you are a God of love and you, your ways are bigger than mine. And I know that you're a God of justice and I see a whole lot of injustice here, but I have to trust you in those moments. And it gives you a song to sing even when it doesn't seem like there's anything to sing about. It's an incredible thing. And David makes this commitment that in any situation he faces, no matter how difficult it is to understand, regardless of what the decision looks like, he's going to be able to have a song to sing because of who God is, not because of what he sees, but because of who God is, knowing that God sees and God loves and God is just. And we don't understand that and we may never will, but we can still sing to God. David moves on in his commitment and he says, not only am I going to have a reason to sing, I will have a reason to sing. He also is able to say, I will make my purity my priority. 
Whenever we are faced with a decision that we don't know what to make, a decision, a situation where it's kind of over our head and we're not sure what to do, it's so easy to find ourselves um, pointing the finger at what's going on outside. In other words, saying, I don't like that. I don't like those people. I don't like what's going on there. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that's what that looks like. It's so easy in those moments to focus on what's going on outside of us that we can, be, we can lose sight of the fact that there's a lot, that that's all outside of our control. And the thing that we really can control is what's going on inside of us. So I think David right here recognizes that if he's going to lead well, he's going to have to make a decision about his own personal life. In other words, good leadership's going to have to begin with him. If he can't lead himself, he can't lead anything. And so he says, I will make my purity my priority. He says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. So he makes some decisions about his own personal life that are going to affect his leadership. One is he just makes a personal decision, purity that is personal. In other words, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I'm gonna think about it. We don't use that word ponder a lot, but it's this idea that you shouldn't believe everything you think, right? Just because you think something, just because it comes into your head does not mean that you should believe it and live by it. You have to be really careful. You have to ponder, is this going to be a way that's going to lead me down the right road? Or is this something that should be discarded as a way of corruption? It's a personal choice. It's a choice to say, I'm going to choose to uh, make some right decisions based on opportunities that I have. There's a man, I don't have a picture for this man, but his name is Adi. He's become a friend over the last couple trips to Romania. And uh, his family live in Brasov, and they've adopted as a family this community of Gurchen. And he's a businessman in Brasov, a good uh, businessman in, in Brasov. And he wouldn't have to go to Gurchen. It's outside of his community. It's out of the way. It's not in his, he, he, it's not, it, the people aren't like him. But he has, because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, he said, I cannot uh, stay in the comfort of my community when I know that there's people in need. And so several years ago, um, he made some decisions when he and his wife were getting into business um, when, to do things the Romanian way, um, no, no, uh, not speaking bad of, of Romania, but this is his words. He says, everything in Romania operates on a bribe. Every, and maybe that's how it works here too. I don't know. But everything, everything in Romania operates on a bribe. In other words, if you want something, you pay for it. It's just easier that way. You cut down on the red tape. You don't have to fill out the form and, you, and, it's, and it's the way you do it. And so early on, as they started their business and, and they were coming to know the Lord, that was just how they functioned. But he and his wife were convicted as they grew in their relationship with Jesus Christ that that, that was probably not the way that they should go. And so they had to make a hard decision. Are we going to guarantee pretty much that our business is successful because we're smart people and we have good friends and we can really go somewhere? Or are we going to trust God that if we do something different than our culture does, different than everyone would expect us to do, would we be able to trust God to still uh, be there for us and be faithful to us in that? And he shared with us that one night, how they wrestled with that and finally made the decision that if they were going to make, take one more step forward in their lives, they were going to do it with integrity and they were no longer going to give or accept a bribe for anything related to their business. It was a hard decision. They didn't know if they were going to make it or not. I think that they would probably be maybe way well off as a business if they, if they wouldn't have made the decision because it's hard to do it honestly. He said, it's hard to be honest in Romania because people don't even want to work with you. Yet he made that decision. And as a result of that, 
He, he made a choice. He made purity that was a choice. And as a, as a result of that, it put him in a place where he could say to God, um, when will you come to me? In other words, like he's anticipating God to come. It's interesting that if we're making choices that um, are, are kind of like on the, on the take, we don't want God involved. We're like, oh God, I hope you didn't just see that, right? But when you are completely honest and you have purity that is personal and it's in your life and you've made this decision, you almost are expecting God to show up. And I say, God, I welcome you here. And another reason why you would welcome him here is that you're going to need him. And Adi shares this. It's like, he's like, we just said, God, we need you. We invite you into our business and we're going to need you to make this successful because we don't even know how to, how to, how to work in an environment that's not honest to run a business that's honest. It's an incredible opportunity to cry out to God and say, God, because of, of a personal decision, I anticipate that you are going to be with me in this. In other words, they just made a decision to live a life where they had nothing to hide. They didn't want to, they understood that it was just assumed that you would hide things from people, but they didn't want to hide anything from people or God. They thought there's got to be a way to do this. And God has shown himself to be faithful to them. It also required that they have a plan how they would walk. It says, David says, I will walk with integrity of my heart within my house. It's interesting that, you know, every single one of us probably walk in our houses at least one time a day, even if it's just getting up and walking out the door, like we walk in our house. Imagine that kind of a plan to say, I'm going to be pure in my heart, in my home. It's going to be a daily part of me. I think another reason why maybe David said this is that he knew something that we probably know is that it's hardest to have purity at home. It's easy to go out and tell people what they want to hear and show them what they want to see. But at home, our spouses, our kids, our roommates, whoever it is that's in there with us, they see the real us. They know what happens when we don't have like that good face on. And it's a challenge at home to have that kind of purity, to plan to have that kind of purity. Ultimately, the end of this part of the commitment is that he realizes that if he chooses to have to, to make his priority his priority, he is going to be protected. He's going to have established some guards at the gate. In other words, he's going to have to just say, nothing worthless is going to come in here. Nothing worthless is going to make its way into my life and into my heart. And because of that, it, it put him in a position where he could see the world the way you need to see it. There really needs to be almost this hatred for things that are broken. And he lists some of those things. One of the things I'll mention is that he just recognizes that there's, there's neighbor, if, if there's a neighbor that's slandering in secret, secret, that that's something you should just hate. You should just hate the, the, the fighting that happens and all the deceit that goes on. And we know this, right? There's nothing secret about slander, right? It eventually ends up on the front page. And he's just saying all of this brokenness, all of this stuff that's out there, I just want to see it as that. I want to hate it. I don't want to be drawn into the lie that it could benefit me in some way. So I'm going to make my priority, my priority. I'm going to start at home and I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to anticipate a result of what that's going to look like. I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to experience some protection as a result of that, of putting myself beyond the, behind the walls of protection. David makes this commitment about his purity that's personal. It's a commitment that he needed to make in his life. And I just wonder if we would start at home in our own life with this commitment, would it help us as we go to school, as we go to college, as we go to work, at whatever we do, as we step out into that, would it be helpful if we would have made that commitment at home before we step into that that's going to help us to make the right decision when we get there? Next thing that he says, he kind of unpacks in this psalm is he makes, this, makes uh, some decisions about his leadership and I could just summarize it this way. I will make the next right decision based on truth. 
I will make the next right decision based on truth. In other words, uh, David's realizing that he's going to have to someday leave home and lead. He's going to have to influence other people. So what does he say? We pick up in verse uh, six. It says, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, before we go any further, this does not mean that we can go out and start killing people that are bad. That's not, what, that's not the application today. So you didn't hear that from me. We have to understand the context that David is speaking to as the king of a nation. I don't understand what all that means, but it certainly means that he had some responsibility to protect the people in his land from wicked and from evil. But I think the application here is the point. The application is, how is David going to make right decisions that are based on truth and not deceit and not lies? And that's something that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves because, because none of us, as far as I know, are planning on uh, running for president or being a king somewhere. So we won't find ourselves at that level of making those kind of decisions, but we will have to make decisions. And we'll have to choose to either make them based on something that is true or the information that is fed to us. And sometimes that's hard to do, to know whether the information coming in is trustworthy or not. There was this uh, man, another man in Romania, his name is Varel, and he's Adi's friend. Two years ago when we were in Romania at the same school, at running the same camp, Varel was our gatekeeper. He guarded the gate to the school to protect the school, and that was his job. And throughout the week, we just started to build a little bit of a relationship with him, um, and to the point where Adi asked him, like, last day at camp, he said, he said, Varel, would you be interested in me just coming over to your house sometime and just reading the Bible with you? To which Varel said, okay. And that's incredible. And so throughout the next two years, Varel uh, and Adi started reading the Bible together. Um, ultimately, Varel comes to put his trust in Jesus as a savior and his wife as well. They get baptized. He now has this little church in his house and Adi's there every week. Uh, they're reading the Bible. They're praying. They're doing church in his home that's right across from the school. It's an incredible story. But now Varel is in a situation where he has made a decision regarding his faith that is not, is not popular in his community. And he also is finding himself in a situation where he has to make some decisions as how he's going to lead because now he's found himself because of Adi's friendship and because of a relationship that they have built that, that Adi is going to help Varel start his own business so he can start uh, lifting him and his, he and his family out of poverty where he, is, uh, where he is looked at in the community as being kind of like the front runner of somebody that, that, that could lead the way. And along with that comes haters, right? It comes people that say, oh, I can't, you know, why is he getting all the, the favors? And along with it comes with some responsibility. And Varel is demonstrating such courage. We need to pray for him because he's demonstrating such courage in this community, taking a stand for Christ because Adi's telling him, hey, there's a lot of ways to do business, but one way we're not going to do it is on a bribe, to which it just doesn't make any sense to them. But Varel has to trust that. And he has to surround himself with some things that I think we see in this psalm that David says. One is this idea that he'll look in favor on the faithful in the land, and he's going to walk in the way that is blameless with those that, that also walk in the way that's blameless. In other words, he's going to surround himself with some godly people, some trustworthy advisors that are going to help him to make right decisions. In other words, he's just going to have some companionship with some other faithful people. 
Because if you're finding yourself in a place where you have to demonstrate courage in a situation, in a cultural climate where it's not popular to be honest and have integrity and work hard for something and not rip people off, it's going to take courage. And so he says, I'm going to surround myself with some faithful people. And he's selecting his friends really well. He also is going to have to recognize that he can't lead. He cannot do this by himself. And so he has some people that are helping hold him accountable. It's so encouraging to hear someone like Varel say, you know, I've got some people that are going to point out if I start to make a mistake and I meet with them on a regular basis. That sounds like something that we would encourage, right? Like meet with somebody on a regular basis that would be able to point out something in your life and say, hey, that could lead you down a road that you don't want to go. Some godly counsel, some godly, uh, godly alliances, somebody that's in it with you. And then he also has to create a guarded environment. King David had to do this. He had to protect himself from people that would advise him to make bad decisions. Varel has to do the same thing in his community. That's why we need to pray for him as a new believer, trying to make some really important decisions that I believe could change this community um, through his leadership and through his love for God. That he just is going to have to protect himself. And he's going to have to say that we're not going to allow any wickedness to, he's not going to allow any wickedness into his own life. He's not going to allow wickedness to have an influence in his community. He's going to have to champion. This is where it becomes very positive. He, he understands that he can't just go around killing all the bad people, but he says, I can make a difference by championing things that are good, championing things that are good. And that's a lot of what's going on in Romania is just finding the small community that's there and championing those that are after what is good for the good of the community. And in a way of doing that, that's pushing back the darkness. It's pushing back the, the, the dysfunction. It's telling the people that have been abusers for so long to say, you don't have a voice here anymore because we are going to make some better decisions than we've ever made before in our life. And it's changing things. It's incredible. And it can do that here. You can do that. You can do that right now if you make this commitment to whenever it is you go back to school, Whenever you go back to college, whenever you go back, to, you get up tomorrow morning and go back to work after an extended vacation or whatever it is, or maybe it's just another week, you can make these same commitments to where you'd say, God, I'm, I'm going to have a reason to sing to you regardless of what's going on. I'm going to work on my own purity first. It's my priority. It's, my, it's so important that I have that. And then I'm going to make the next right decision based on truth in the decisions that I have to make. And if you look forward to that, and you have that kind of a commitment where you've determined to do that before you find in a situation, yourself in a situation where you feel a certain way or you want certain things that could lead you to making a bad decision. If you make that kind of a commitment, you, like David, are going to find yourself with a commitment that's so worthwhile and so helpful. I really kind of want to summarize it like this. Making a commitment in the calm will give you clarity in the chaos, all right? Making a commitment in the calm. In other words, before you find yourself in a position Make a commitment that's going to give you some clarity when things start to fall apart. When you find yourself in a really high pressure situation, if you've made a commitment in the calm, it's going to give you clarity when things get chaotic. So what do you do? And light, how about, how about just consider this as a way to respond to what David wrote, to what we've talked about today, what you've heard is going on in Romania and what's going on in our own communities. In light of your current situation, think about that. The question I asked, what do you do when? In light of your current situation and your future hopes and dreams, what commitment do you need to make right now? Maybe this is the commitment. Maybe this is the commitment that you have to just say, I, I, I'm going to have to have a reason to sing because there's a lot of stuff I see that I don't like to see, but I can have a reason to sing because of who God is. Maybe you can commit to saying, I'm, I have to make my purity my priority. It has to start with me. If I'm going to lead well, it has to start with me. 
And then maybe you just say, you know, I've been listening to a lot of deception and reading a whole lot of headlines for far too long. I'm just going to have to start making the next right decision based on the truth. Maybe allowing God's word and the wise counsel of other people to lead you in the way that you should go. So why should we have this kind of a commitment? We have to have this kind of a commitment because there's always going to be what do I do when moments. You're always going to find yourself in situations where you say, what do I do now? Or what do I do with that? Or how do I overcome this? Or, or this is going on. What do I do? And in that moment of uncertainty, this commitment will, will remain true regardless of what that is. Regardless of what decision you need to make, this commitment will apply to that will apply to that, that you have a reason to sing, that your purity is really important when it comes to that, and that you have to make some decisions that are based on truth and not lies. So make a commitment in the calm. Maybe this isn't a time of calm for you, but maybe just these few minute moments that we have as we wrap up the rest of our service together is enough of a calm that you could say, God, I need courage to make a commitment in this moment of calm that's going to give me clarity when I step out those doors and I have no idea what kind of chaos is going to happen but I can trust you and I can be committed to you. Let me, let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you that you gave David some clarity um, before he assumed his role of leadership, where he was able to just kind of record for us a song of, of praise to you, where he made some really big commitments saying, I will. He lists over and over again, I will do things. And he didn't base those things on his wants and feelings, but what he knew was true that you are a God who is love and is just, and he was going to have to be surrendered to that, but also trusting of that. And that if he was going to be any kind of a leader, he was going to have to be able to lead himself well. And we have an example of somebody who didn't do that well, but you still gave him an opportunity to lead even out of his bad decisions and because he confessed those things and he made himself right with you and he moved forward. Help us to model our lives after this prayer of commitment that we would be committed to this in the calm so that we would have clarity, that we would have the ability to trust you and make the right decision in the chaos of life and what is thrown at us. And we just give you uh, praise for, for your word and the opportunity that we have to surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.